Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Press Row. Behind-the-scenes stories from the world of sports media. Press Row. Inside and interviews from around the sports world. Now here's your host, Jonah Siegel. Welcome, another edition of In the Press Row. So much of what we focus on here pertains to those in front of the microphone, if you will, and sometimes the camera. We talk about their careers. We talk about life on air. uh, We talk about sports. But so much of the industry takes place behind the scenes. And today's episode, we get a rare inside look inside Rogers Sportsnet, inside the score, and what's going on with all the changes there. We get to talk a little bit about the NHL deal, gambling in the world of sports media in Canada, and much, much more. Uh, speaking of gambling, let me tell you about my friends at Bet Online. They are the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for news, scores, and odds. Best place to make your bets as well, and it's free to sign up. If you head over to betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today, yes, today, and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online is your online sportsbook experts. This is the Press Row with Jonah Siegel. Jonah here from the Press Row. Want to tell you about my friends at Seattle Shirt Company. Now, hang on, you don't have to be in Seattle to appreciate Jay and the team over at SeattleShirt.com. Family-owned business, yes, they are located here in Seattle, but what they offer online goes way beyond and cross borders. All your amazing Grey's Anatomy gear, incredible Seattle wear, and yes, tons and tons of sports merchandise. Father's Day is just around the corner. They do ship to Canada. They have amazing sports jerseys, great product, incredible price, and the best customer service online you will find, guaranteed. Incredible discount today if you use the code PRESSROW at checkout. That's P-R-E-S-S-R-O-W at checkout. You get 15% off. And as long as you're spending over a certain amount, free shipping too. $10 in the U.S., $50 in Canada. Stuff will arrive as offered in tip-top shape. And I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. Again, that's seattleshirt.com. Use the code PRESSROW at checkout. Kraken, Major League Baseball, NFL, and much, much more. SeattleShirt.com. Now back to more of the Press Row. Here again is your host, Jonas Siegel. Welcome. Another episode of Believe Press Row. Jonas Siegel here. Um, we, we've gone a lot of different places in the Press Row. Um, we've talked to some news folks, we've talked to some health folks, some education folks, but we primarily focus on sports media. That's why you tune in every week. And um, really fortunate today to have somebody who's spent his career, um, you know, some 20, 23, 25 years behind the scenes at, at two of the biggest sports networks in Canada. Uh, one of them is now certainly one of the two biggest. He'll probably say it's the biggest, depending on, I guess, how we define biggest. Uh, he is Sam Nasrawi, 
from Rogers Sportsnet, where he is the Senior Director of Original Content. Sam, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. It's nice to see you. It's nice to meet. We've we've exchanged lots of digital messages. We've never seen each other talk to each other, so it is, uh, it's nice to be able to do that. First and foremost, how are you? How is your family? Everybody doing as well as can be expected as Ontario is finally getting through the pandemic. Yeah, it's, it's nice to finally um, see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, it's been an interesting year and a bit, um, but my family's doing well. Um, an adjustment, uh, definitely an adjustment in terms of not only family life, but work life and, and work life balance. But it's, um, it's nice to see that we're at the end of this, what could be hopefully, you know, a long year and a bit. <laughs> a long year and a bit, especially, I, I would imagine personally, but also uh, professionally. Um, the industry has had peaks and valleys, as it always does, but certainly more peaks and valleys in the last, you know, 14 to 16 months, unfortunately. Um, and it must have been grueling to try and do a lot of what you do from home. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, uh, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, when everything closed, we had to pivot quickly from being a live event network. And, and, and you know, in a, in a matter of a week, um, switch over to being a, a packaged network, a sports network that had to rely on packaged content. Um, hands, hands down one of the most difficult things I think we had to deal with because, you know, everyone from the programming team to the digital team to, you know, the, the whole network essentially had to just not only work from home, but adjust um, and package a lot of content. I think in, in like two weeks, we, we were in the 50 to 60 hours of packaging, you know, best ofs and, and, and hockey content and, and replays. And so it was a, it was an interesting couple of weeks there at the beginning where, you know, the team really had to band together with the uncertainty of what's happening in the world and, and, and trying to keep, you know, our sanity at work and trying to make sure that, you know, if, if fans and wanted to tune in that there was something that there was on that was hopefully engaging. So, so let's, let's pause for a second and, and, and make sure that we help people understand. So what does the senior director of original content do and what are you responsible for so we can get everybody on the same page, so to speak? Sure. So I, I'm, I'm five, six months into this role, so I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, <laughs> Uh, prior to that, I was responsible for, for branded content. So my team, it was a small team of, I would say, three to six people. And we worked closely with the sales team. And, and that's what I did for six years since I kind of joined Sportsnet. I was, I was part of the creative team for a bit and then quickly pivoted to this role. Um, in December, December 1st, I took this new role. And within that team, there is now a group of content creators and we are responsible for not only delivering content in, in various formats, but supporting our live event teams, uh, supporting our sales teams, supporting our digital teams. Um, the team is made up of some amazingly creative uh, producers, um, creative uh, salespeople that are focused on packaging what original content could look like for clients. And um, 
you know, I, I don't want to separate our teams that there's a digital team and then there's, you know, a linear team. I think that's my goal over the next little while is how do we transform a culture to make sure everybody evolves into this era of we're looking at different platforms and we're executing on different platforms in different formats. So I, I'm, I'm honestly responsible for working with a team of amazing people that, um, you know, uh, have to come up with creative ideas and solutions, not only for, for clients, but great ideas that just engage our audience and, and just get fans thinking about sports in a different way, whether it's telling stories about athletes, uh, telling stories about the game, telling stories about uh, life and how it intersects with culture. Um, so that's my role. I, you know, I, I could go more detail into what the day-to-day -day looks like, but um, I'm just, I'm just a, a guy that's part of the team that just, you know, wants to do some cool stuff. That's it. So, so let's, let's dig into some of the terminology. So, you know, you, you tell me if I have this right. So a fan or yeah, a fan of Rogers Sportsnet watches these things on Rogers Sportsnet. So I'm going to leave some things out, but sure. So there's simulcast of radio shows. There's live Blue Jays and Maple Leafs and, and other hockey. So there's Blue Jays, there's NHL hockey, lots of NHL hockey. Yep. You have your, your news update shows, your highlight shows, special live events. When you talk about clients, I assume you're talking about advertisers. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a large portion of our uh, team and it's, it's been building uh, since December. Honestly, we've, what, we're, what we've been focused on a lot over the last little while is, is how do we respond to our clients? How do we respond to our um, you know, um, sponsors? And uh, through the last six years, we've been very focused on uh, a request for a proposal, right? So RFPs, clients come in. They're definitely looking at us in a different way, and and we're trying to deliver that in a different way. They in the past it was we were very transactional. Commercials goes here, you know. There was the the model as it still exists, but we also see an opportunity where we're custom building content for clients, and and specifically in and around branded content. So. You know, there are some clients that get it and say, hey, you know, wh what stories can you tell and how can my brand be involved? And I think there's an educational piece that goes through that. So I think that's where now uh, and our goal is going to be moving forward is we're great at responding at RFPs and we've got this megaphone that is called Rogers that, you know, can help distribute the, the volume of content. But we also have an opportunity here to actually go net new and, and create ideas and go to clients and reverse the, the conversation. So I would love for us to be seen as this, not only a powerhouse as a megaphone, but a powerhouse of creative ideas. No one knows our product better than us. So how do we go to clients and make sure, and our sponsors, and make sure they get like, wow, these guys can deliver like amazing ideas. So that's the goal. So I think that that would be actually fairly surprising to a lot of people listening to this podcast that I think many people would assume that your team, the ad sales team goes out and looks at automotive, uh, beer, pizza, what have you, 
and sell spots on hockey night in Canada. I'm just going to, or blue Jays baseball. And you may see banners. You may see, um, interstitial, you know, in the middle of the broadcast, something pops up or there's a, a voiceover. You don't go away to a typical commercial. What, what, when you say that the clients are having, are putting out RFPs requests for proposals, you don't have to tell me who or what, but high level, what are they asking for? What, what, what's the, what are the, what's the proposal they're looking to the market for? Sure. Um, really just how do they tell their brand story uh, a little differently than what a commercial can do and how do they integrate within content? So um, I'll, I'll give you an example. And I use this example a lot because it's, it's, it's a, a perfect execution that I think worked on, on multiple levels. We worked with uh, Loblaws on an integration with, with uh, Serge Ibaka. And we invited a bunch of um, athletes to a home and we shot a dinner and it was a holiday dinner. And the integration was, was perfect. It was having a dinner and we integrated President's Choice and, and Loblaws products within that dinner. And you, you got to get the sense of here's what's the client can offer from, um, um, it wasn't just a logo. It wasn't just like, hey, here's the logo on the screen. Here's a pop-up, here's a commercial. It was really telling the story about food and holidays and bringing people together and um, even culture. Serge Ibaka shared this amazing meal that uh, he grew up uh, on. So I think the, the important thing for us is how do we figure out ways to integrate, right? Awesome. That's very helpful. Let's back up for a second. You, you've been at Rogers for roughly eight years. Before that, you were 15 years, incredible, at, at the score. Mostly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say mostly in the creative world, so Vice President Creative Services. How soon after the score started did you join? Like, how, are, how early days were you there? Oh, I was, I was one of the originals. Uh, I, I, was, um, I was hired on. I was still in school, actually. Um, uh, the crazy story is Lee Herberman came to our class to present um, an idea where they were launching a sports network and was looking for a bunch of young editors. And at the time, I was one of the few people that had learned the Avid, which is a nonlinear editing system. So I raised my hand and applied. And on, um, I think, March... But it didn't even finish school. I, I, I went to my um, Don Gray at the time at Centennial Bell Center for Creative Communication. I went to him and I said, I've got a job. Like, do I still get my, you know, degree, my diploma? Like, how does that work? He's like, listen, you came here to get a job. So we will give it to you if you get this role. So, um, yeah, one of the 30, I think, 30 or 40 originals that started. I started my career as a nonlinear editor. I was editing highlights. And what was the culture like there in those early days? Oh man, it was it was bootstrap. It was it was it was a time I can't even explain the the um, the energy that we had. It was a, a bunch of young people pulled from different areas. Whether it was people coming from radio, people coming from school, people come. There was some seasoned people there, um, but the culture was like it was just amazing because we were just starting something special, something new. It hadn't, it hadn't been done before. We were doing highlights, you know, 24 seven highlights, replacing a, a network that was just 
a scoreboard network. It was Sportscope. It was just music and it was scores. And we got an opportunity to create highlights. And it was an amazing time, really. It was, it was one of those times where you look back and you say, wow, we did some, some groundbreaking stuff because there was a ticker on the screen and there was, you know, scores and they were immediate. It wasn't like it was where you had to wait for a highlight show at eight o'clock or nine o'clock or 10 o'clock. We were, as soon as that highlight was done, we were publishing it and it was, there was a speed and immediacy to it that, you know, and it grew quickly too. You know, we went from four editors to six editors and from four producers to 12 producers. So it was just booming. We went, I think in the first few years, we went from 40 people to, and we doubled, we doubled in, in size. We were using technology that no one else was using. It didn't work half the time and it was a headache, but um, it was it was just one of the, the moments in your life when you look back and say, wow, we did something that was probably look back and go, wow, like that was insane. How, how did we do what we did with the technology that we had and at the speed in which we delivered? And, you know, typical startup culture, right? And it also was a breeding ground, if you will, uh, foundational for many of the key players on both sides of the microphone, if you will, in what is the Canadian and to a certain degree US uh, sports media landscape today. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had the pleasure of being in an edit suite with guys like Cabby, Adnan Firk, Greg Sansoni, uh, Elliot Friedman, um, Martine, I mean, the list goes on and on in terms of the people that that went through those edit suites. And and honestly, I think part of the success was everybody learned to figure out how to do highlights. Everybody had to be in an edit suite. That's where you got your start. You you got into an edit suite, and you had to voice over highlights. And that gave everybody the, also the opportunity to just go try stuff. I mean, I still remember when. Cabby, I think, walked into Anthony Ciccioni's office and said, hey, like, can I take a camera? I've got an idea. Like, I just want to go out and shoot some streeters. And the culture was like, yeah, just go try it. Go, go see what happens. So I think there was an experimentation culture. Um, I was allowed to play in the edit suite. I got to do some crazy stuff, like replaying stuff and, and, and just playing stuff backwards and putting on crazy effects. And very rarely did anyone come in and say, no, don't do that. Like that, that's crazy. So I think there was a, like, let's try. It's a culture of like, go see what happens. The impact was in our minds was very little, but we didn't realize that the impact was actually going to be huge when you fast forward and see the talent pool that came out of there and the, and the success that a lot of the people that were living in that culture have seen over the years. And then, you know, the yellow brick road, if you will, split and hit a fork as, as is common with startups, if you will, and, and apologies to anyone at the score who's insulted by the term startup, but I, I mean it with enduring qualities that I think the score was a startup in, in that space. Part of it got swallowed up, if you will, by the big behemoth. Um, mm -hmm. We're gonna talk about the road to Rogers, but let's talk about the right hand, the right turn that the score actually took and is taking now. Um, and for those who don't know, it, it is betting heavily on sports betting. Was that always in the background? Is that things you heard about? Was it always part of the plan? I mean, 
legalities have changed. I think if I said to you some 20 years ago that we'd have an NHL team in Las Vegas, an NFL team in Las Vegas, you would have told me I was nuts. Yeah. And that when you turn on uh, hockey night in Canada, you're going to be inundated with, you know, betting ads fully integrated into the experience. Um, where did the Genesis was the Genesis of, of sports gambling prominent in the early days of the score or is that relatively new? I think John Levy uh, at his core was always an entrepreneur, right? And, and, and he's one of the few people that um, I got an opportunity to spend a lot of time with that always thought about the future, always thought about what's, what's coming around. Um, There was definitely a, uh, you know, we, our ticker had odds on it. Like that was, that was ingrained in, in the culture at the score and headline sports before that. So just in that right there, you had um, someone who was thinking about betting um, very early on. Like, there, you know, we were one of the few tickers that had odds on it. I don't, know, I don't remember seeing odds on any other ticker. It was one of the things that was really instrumental in our uh, coverage. So would I say, was it part of the narrative? Was it part of the conversations? Not out, not out like, like it wasn't like, oh yeah, we got to talk betting. We, we didn't even talk betting, but it was, odds were there, odds were there. So I would say it was, it was layered in, but I also got the sense too, as, as we developed the app, you know, again, we had the app on a phone. It was like the flip Motorola phone um, where there was development and there was pages of pages of like what the interaction looks like. And as soon as the phone came out and text messaging, and then, and then all of a sudden we've got an app where you can check your scores. So like in the early stages, John was thinking about how are we delivering scores immediately to someone's handset, right? Like I still remember the Motorola phone that you flip up and you go to the score app that was available and you would, so from those early stages, I think he was always thinking about how am I going to get in people's hands? It was advanced because gambling then was the, the, the dirty secret that nobody wanted to talk about. The NFL's prominence, even back in the day, and I'm guessing that you and I are roughly the same age, you remember Jimmy the Greek with all of his downside being on the NFL today. I think that's what it was called uh, with CBS. Yeah. His whole shtick was gambling. Yeah. Um, the NFL's prominence, the money that they rake in is due to office pools, gambling, all of that. And the score was, was certainly taking a step out from other providers and acknowledging it. Yep. Yeah. The score in the NFL. I mean, it, I don't, I don't think I'm talking out of turn saying that John, I hope you are. (laughs) John was a big NFL guy. He, he, he loves, he loves the NFL. So I think ingrained within the NFL um, viewership, there was this betting narrative that happened naturally. So, you know, I, I think if, if you grew up loving the NFL, you probably had some sort of betting in your DNA. Yeah. And you know, the prominence of the Super Bowl being on that world stage, a good chunk of it is squares, office pools, prop <laughs> yeah. bets, all of that, right? Um, yeah. 
off you go. So the, the, the road splits and you go to the big behemoth that had to have been a cultural shock for many people because you went from uh, eat what you kill mentality being very nimble. I would as a typical startup. I was, yep. I was recently with one where, you know, guys wore shorts and flip-flops every day. And the company that acquired us was in not suits and ties, but they were in corporate gear every day. It was a absolute mismatch. And, and suddenly there's HR policies and there's expense reports and all the things that, you know, the benefit of being in, in the mothership is there's, a, there's typically a lot more uh, security, maybe even better pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, bigger global opportunities. The downside is it's corporate. Is that something that many of you experience when you transition from the score over to Rogers? For sure. I mean, uh, there was there was structure. <laughs> we came over and there was like, wow, look, there's like there's different teams here that are organized to do different things, and there's um, you know there's there's a, a massive creative team that is responsible for creating you know, brand initiatives and graphic designers all over the, the team. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely a culture shock, not only from like a workflow, but also from a process perspective, you know, how we got things done at the score and how we started to learn how things got done at Rogers was, was, was a definite difference, right? Like there's, my HR was there. Like there was, everything was online. I didn't have to just walk into someone's office to say, Hey, I'm, I'm sick today. It was actually, like, there was a, a bunch of protocols that we weren't used to. So yeah, there, there was definitely, I would say from a lot of us, we had to learn how to function within a bigger organization, but the beauty of going from a startup to that or the big organization is that you're taking that entrepreneurial kind of, how do I get stuff done quickly and implant it within the DNA of Rogers? And I think a few of us have succeeded through that. I, I, I would say a large part of my success at Rogers in, 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 in Sportsnet is that ability to be nimble and think about how to get things done really quickly. And it's helped not just me, but helped me take that entrepreneurial kind of bootstrap opportunity kind of thinking to my team. So, you know, the branded content team that was first started when we got there was, that was the opportunity. Like, how do we get things done faster? You know, who do we hire? How do we edit this really quickly? So I would say a large part of that success came from that culture that was ingrained in us at the score. So I would assume then that there have been over the years powers that be at Rogers and especially on Sportsnet that have allowed you and others to maintain that startup DNA. For sure. For sure. And, and the, and the cool thing about what's, what's happening now too, is with Jordan banks in place, he's even pushing that even further. So he's like experiment, you know, the, the, the common theme is, it's a, we're, we're going to celebrate failure. So, the, you know, it, we went from, ah, we're this small network that was kind of being made fun of. And you look at these guys from this score, they're the, they're the ratty bunch. They're the ones that, you know, 
I know I swore in meetings. It was probably not <laughs> the best thing to do, but it was like, we were seen as the roughnecks. We were like, Hey, look at these guys. They're the, they're the guys that <laughs> can bootstrap stuff. And then as, as we got more involved in it and, you know, guys like, I mean, all, the whole team, honestly, as we started implanting ourselves in various areas, you got to see an opportunity where there was almost permission to just do whatever, just get it done. So um, I do have to give credit to a lot of the executive team at, at Sportsnet at the time that just gave us that opportunity to say, okay, we like, we, we like what we see, keep going, keep trying, keep looking at things differently. And now it's, it's almost in on steroids now. Like if you think about it with Jordan in place, he's wants us to experiment, wants us to try things, wants us to fail, wants us to learn, wants us to move fast. And I, that, that, that just continues to push that entrepreneurial spirit through the organization. What would you say his vision is then for Sportsnet? What, what, what's Pansea? What, what do they, what does the team there hope to deliver that isn't being delivered today? I think um, a deeper connection with fandom. Uh, I think that at, at its core, how are we connecting with an audience that wants, that wants to be part of our brand? How do we connect with an audience that, that delights, that puts smiles, that, you know, that, that just, it, it's, it's all about connection. You know, you can talk about time spent and you can talk about revenue and you can talk about all those other pieces, but really at its core, through my lens, it's how do I, how do I get people to want to be part of what we're doing? How do I get people to, to enjoy, put a smile on someone's face? Like when I look at like, when I look at developing content, I'm thinking, you know, what lens do you, do I want the audience to see and how do we delight them? How do we do something that's epic? And honestly, um, I joke uh, with a lot of my team, but one of the post-it things that I look at every day is I want to do epic shit. That is something I'm looking at every day because unlike where I came from, where it was hard to do epic shit, we've got Rogers and we're Rogers Sportsnet. And there isn't an idea that I've thrown out there that anyone has come to me and said, ah, that's, that's going to be hard. Everyone's like, oh, cool. Let's do epic shit. It's interesting because the, word, the, the, the name on the street as to what's happening at Rogers Sportsnet is the reference to the score mafia, that there's a group of former scoryites, if you will, my term, not yours, um, who are taking control of the ship. Any thoughts on, on, on that reputation? I that's I love hearing that that's awesome but there I, I don't know that there's you know um it's nice to hear uh, I do believe there's a lot of people that are there that are trying to push and and we we've we've adopted a model of 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 hiring uh, practices that are um creating a you know a diverse voice at the network for sure um and I don't mean diverse by like color or diverse by you know uh, I'm talking about like diverse thought diverse um you know ideas diverse thinking so if that's the impression that people are getting great but I do believe there's a lot of people that have been part of this um growth that have been part of the evolution of what's happening at Sportsnet and 
you know, it's nice to hear, but it really, it's, it's, I, you know, I don't know that anyone from the score is going to be standing up to say, yeah, yeah, this is all us. Uh, I don't know that, that we have that type of ego, but I do believe that there is um, a lot of people that have helped shape where we are right now. And I think will help shape where we're going to be in the next few years. How prominent do you believe that betting and betting content is going to be part of the future of Sportsnet? Well, I, th I think you'd be crazy not to think that um, it's going to drive audiences. I mean, you look at things like um, the Final Four, you look at, you know, the NCAA tournament and what happens when you have to fill out your bracket and what happens to audiences. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we're looking to increase um, audiences. And how do you increase the audience? By creating amazing content and by giving them a reason to watch. And I think, you know, as betting becomes more and more, um, you know, legalized, I guess, you're going to see that there's a net value in, in terms of not only delivering content, but also creating more fandom. I keep bringing up fandom because I think it's an important part of how we look at um, how we look at delivering content. Like how do you connect with that audience? And I think betting is another part of how you connect with that audience. So it's one thing for people to be gambling on the NFL. It's one thing for them to be gambling on the final four. All of the, both of those are properties south of the border to you. Mm -hmm. Do you envision a massive or any, forget massive, do you envision a market for gambling on NHL, CFL, dare I say curling? Um, obviously, Major League Baseball crosses the, the field into both, but you know, you're talking about a lot of American properties and American only properties, if you will. Sure. Um, any thoughts on that? Well, it's only that's because what I grew up and that's what I know. Um, I think, oh, but that's where the I, I sorry you're interrupting, but sure. that's the market, right? Like, yeah, people, yeah. Uh, horse racing, NFL football, college basketball. Uh, you go to Vegas traditionally or a sports book, that's where the money was laid. Um, crickets when there's an NHL, when it's NHL only. Yeah. Uh, NBA is popular. Major League Baseball is popular. Um, but it certainly doesn't have the, canadian-esque feel to it at least not yet that's fair and i think there's there's a lot of things that need to be crossed off you know i think there's you know you look at not only uh, government regulation but you're looking at how leagues are handling gambling within canada how you know what can you and can't you do during game pre-game post-game um do I envision a world where betting will be more prevalent? I mean, you'd be crazy not to. I, I think that just the average person seeing that betting is becoming more and more uh, part of the narrative of sports. I think it's inevitable that we are going to see um, an uptick. What that looks like, how, how fast, I have no idea because I think, you know, when you look at betting, it's going to be different from province to province. Um, you know, we're still, we, we're a national network and we have to figure that out because there's going to be, you know, re regional content that might look different as opposed to national content. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it'd be crazy to, to not think about betting, um, especially when you look at, at what the score has done in terms of integrating their betting app and the success they've had in the States with um, their app in various States and how they've rolled it out. 
Um, it, it, you know, uh, you look at even our, our, our competitors at TSN, you know, the, the edge they're they're going into it as well, thinking about what betting looks like within programming. So I think it's going to be a, a very, very prevalent piece that is not only just going to drive revenue, but I think it's going to drive audiences. So one of the more controversial issues in, in sports media in Canada, uh, is the deal with the national hockey league. Uh, many people have blamed it, if you will, on numerous layoffs, changes, cuts, what have you. Um, just the albatross of, of deals that Rogers has to deal with as year by year, it gets more and more expensive and forgetting the pandemic, which obviously wiped out games almost entirely. Um, I know what's said publicly that, you know, we love it and listen, you're, you're in the content business. There's nothing like that because you've got lots of bleeping content uh, seven nights a week from call it October till, till June. How, how difficult is it in-house watching a turnstile of people coming and going both on the talent and behind the scenes over the last couple of years? Yeah, you know, coming from, again, I, I bring up the score, but there was a huge, for me, it's, it's no different. I mean, I'm just looking at the media landscape as an evolution. So, you know, we had a lot of people come and go over the years. Um, So I'm, I hate to say that I'm, I'm immune to it, but I I just see it as part of the media landscape and how we evolve. And, 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 you know, you see it right across the board. Media is one place, but you, you see it across any disruption, any sort of deal structure in any, um, in any business, whether it be technology or whether it be uh, goods and services, you are going to see a turnover and you're going to see changes. I think it would be crazy not to see changes and turnovers. That's how a business evolves. That's how a business gets bigger. That's how a business gets um, more profitable. Um, is it difficult? Well, of course, it's difficult. You're saying bye to some you know, friends, but we're also in the process now of we've hired hundreds of people like we just through the last six months we've invested in 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 our digital platforms we've invested in 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 a people culture we're investing in uh, various aspects of the business and looking forward to what the next few years has in store so yeah i mean yeah you say hey it looks like we're shedding but we're also adding Uh, so it's it's okay to say that we're shedding but we're also investing and that investment's come over the last year, I would say, um, at, a, at a lightning pace. I've seen people at Sportsnet now where we, we have net new opportunities. Jobs are popping everywhere. So, you know, you go look at, look at our um, job boards and, and there's opportunities there. I mean, you look at LinkedIn and you see we're looking for developers. We're looking for uh, creative content creators. We're looking for, um, you know, everyone right across the board, because I think there's a huge opportunity as we move forward into what this new media sports media looks like. So would you say it's fair or unfair or neither uh, for the NHL deal to be painted as a cause of much of the, the lay the preceding layoffs and certainly talent on air talent changes? Um. I don't know if I would relate it right to that. I mean, I, I, again, like back to the score days, there was a ton of changes. No one ever blamed a certain product. 
Um, I'm, I would, I'm not looking at the NHL as a blame. If anything, I just see it as an opportunity for how we're growing and what we're getting to do. Um, so I'm looking at, at, at growth more so. Changes, of course. I think change is part of, part of the narrative. But I, I don't know that I would use the word blame. It's interesting. A lot of what the score was built on, a lot of what Sportsnet and even TSN was built on were highlight shows. Um, a lot of that, you know, started with Jim Taddy and Mark Kebscher. And before that, Bob McCowan with live from Toronto, this is sports line, you know, yeah. um, following Van Earl Wright and Nick Charles down in the States. And I have kids who are 16 and 18 and ESPN is never on our television. We're in the States. So ESPN yeah. is never on, we don't watch highlight shows. They've got iPads and phones and watches that, yep. you know, 10 seconds after Vladdy hits a, a home run, my son has texted it to me with really funny memes out there. Like that instant gratification is there. Yeah. Um, I think you'd probably admit that the folks over at, at TSN, one thing they've done an exceptional job with and connecting with the younger audience is, uh, is bar down. Um, that is going to lead to systemic change to a good chunk of your content vis-a-vis -vis those highlight shows is that old effers like you and I uh, aren't tuning into those shows. How do you fill that content? How do you fill those well, spaces, I say? Yeah, I mean, we're looking at how we're delivering content on different platforms. Um, I'll give you an example. We just, um, with this playoffs, we started with Dango watch-alongs where he's on YouTube watching a game, uh, watching. So there's a Leaf fan, a rabid Leaf fan watching a Leaf game uh, and streaming it on YouTube. So our approach is how do we uh, create content and make sure that it's distributed to different platforms and feeds different audiences. So we'd be crazy not to be thinking like that. You know, I think it's important to think about, you know, speed. It's important to think about, um, fun. It's important to think about different platforms and how you get to those different platforms and different audiences and how do you feed different audiences. So, um, you know, in terms of how you fill that void, you, you, you know, it, it's, there's no void there to me. It's, it's just an opportunity. How do you, how do you engage with an audience? How do you create fun content with your talent? How do you um, create different shows and different formats? How do you change this 30 minute format or one hour format. Maybe we need to go to a 10 minute format where we've got 10 minute shows or five minute shows. So I think the opportunity is there for us to explore what formats look like just on linear, but also how do we make sure that our fans are getting, if you're on your iPad or if you're on TikTok or if you're on Instagram, how are we making sure we're telling you the story that you want on whichever platform you're on. And that's, you know, as a content creator, how do you make sure that you're kind of feeding that, that hunger for immediacy, but at the same time, how are you connecting with that audience on a deeper level? So it's not just about immediacy, as, as you said, it's about where's that emotional connection. So a lot of what you've talked about is what I call optical content. So mm -hmm. it's TV, it's, it's social media. Uh, we haven't talked about radio. I don't know if you spend any time in and around radio at all. Um, but that, that is something that is undergoing massive change at, at Rogers and on the sports side as well. 
starting with the hiring of a new program director for the Fan 590. Someone who's got a, a very interesting background, uh, none of which is in traditional radio. What, what do you see as the future of radio is? I mean, we now have, I don't know how many Teslas driving around North America. Those things don't have radios in them. They do stream content. Um, where do you see radio going and, and where do you, what do you think the fans future is in the marketplace as it relates to that, whatever you think is coming? Well, if I had that knowledge, uh, I, I, well, that's I'd why you're here, Sam. <laughs> I didn't ask, I didn't ask for, you know, expertise on getting coffee. I want the, I want the inside expert opinion. I, I think, uh, it, it's about, again, I, I, it's no different than, um, making sure that we're on different platforms, how it evolves, I think that's a question for the ages, honestly, but the reality is, you know, where, where are we feeding that content? What platforms are we making sure audio still survives? You know, you look at 31 thoughts um, as a podcast and the evolution of that podcast, and it's, it's seen some incredible success. How do we look at podcasts? How do we look at on-demand uh, and live content uh, through the radio networks? Um, for sure, we're going through an evolution. And, and I think as you go through changes in the media, you're going to experiment, you're going to try different things, you're going to look at different formats. Um, I, you know, I think at the end of the day, one of the things that that excites me about that opportunity is we're trying something different now, we get to try like, it's by design that you have someone who's thinking differently about that platform, because as it evolves, what are the different things that you can apply that, that are net new? You know, it, there's going to be a, uh, it's going to be a combination of not just, you know, you can't look at radio or audio as a, a singular platform. You have to look at, um, uh, you know, what I call is like a 360 flywheel. How do you create radio content that lives on different platforms? How do you create video content out of that radio content? How do you multiply the, content that you have because what you have at its core is personalities right you have personalities that drive that content so the the fun piece now is rather than just looking at a radio show as a radio show we get the opportunity now to look at a radio show that could be put into a podcast that could possibly go on television in a short form content that continues to drive that that flywheel so I, I think it's 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 not going to be easy but I think there's an opportunity there to evolve the radio business into something that could be quite lucrative so if I'm hearing you right the the administration's policy then if you will is no sacred cows so you have a you know the one thing the pandemic did is it took people out of their cars uh, as you know, I'm, I'm living in the States right now. We're probably two or three months ahead of you down in Toronto. Yeah. Um, this, this awful thing called traffic is back. Um, people are starting to go back to work that is going to evolve and come back. Uh, how big, how fast don't know, but I think probably a safe bet that labor day this year will be a lot more normal than it was last year. Um, so are you suggesting that part of the reason for the change at the top on the radio side was to start evolving the relationship Sportsnet has with audio fans as well? Of course. Yeah, I think we have to evolve. 
to just leave, set it and forget it, I think isn't, isn't a great model. I think we need to figure out ways to, how do we connect? How do we create amazing content that people, when they get in their cars, when they're listening um, on their um, podcast, when they're watching YouTube, how are we creating that ecosystem? Um, I think if, if you continue to look at one platform as a singular piece and not look at it holistically, I don't think is, 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 I don't think it's wrong, but I don't think it's, it's hundred percent right. So I think there needs to be a balance for sure, but you're right. Like things are going to get back to normal and, you know, uh, businesses are going to start advertising more. Um, you know, the, the, the cool thing is we're not running away from it. We're, we're, we're embracing it and we're looking at, you know, not only how to grow it, but how to multiply it. The basis of, the 360 degree look of customer and the flywheel behind it originates in large part with customization and personalization. Correct. I want my coffee, my way, whether it's in the store or, you know, mobile order and pick up what it, what that, that, that's Pansea. Yep. How do you deliver that in a world where you have digital technology in one hand, that's really good. I go look at my Gmail and the word New York is in the email to me and surrounding that are flight deals to New York City. I watch CNN, I watch CBC and I'm seeing completely non-personalized ads. The experience isn't overly personalized to me. How do we get there? And, and, and you guys, Rogers and gals, have all facets of the ecosystem to make that happen. You, you own the wire, you own the wireless, you own the teams and you own the content. How do you get more personalized and more customized to actually build a 360 degree view of customer and unlock the flywheel? Well, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the formula right there. How do uh -huh. you do that? I worked at Starbucks. <laughs> How do you do that? Um, Listen, I think from my perspective, from my kind of POV, it's about how do you create content that people want? And it doesn't matter what the platform is. It's about making sure that you are creating content that someone wants to connect with. And that's driven by personalities at the end of the day. That's driven by the quality of what you do. That's driven by the idea of being creative. That's driven by technology. Like we are, don't kid yourself. We are going to be looking at what technology looks like moving forward and how do we make sure we're connecting with that audience wherever they are. And I apologize because I sound like I'm repeating myself when I talk about personalization and, and connecting with the audience, but it's so important that we're where we are, where they are. Yeah, I mean, what remains elusive in all facets of our life today is curation. Yeah. As kids, we used to go into these things called bookstores and we would go to the same one because the person working there knows the types of books that you like. Amazon is the best at it and they do a lousy job of curation. There is no curation in digital content, at least not very good. The worst one that I can think of is the streaming world of, of television today. You know, Netflix is the biggest. Their, your, their curation is awful. Um, and in, you live in a world where you subscribe to multiple platforms, trying to find what to watch next is 
extremely elusive. They're all digital content providers, but getting that 360 degree view of customer is, seems very, very far away. So listen, I, I get what you're saying entirely. You want people to be live, living, eating, and breathing Sportsnet on their Rogers phone, on their television, on their watch. You want that interaction. You want them to have Rogers as their heartbeat of sports content. And uh, connecting those dots is elusive. Well, it's elusive, but it's also... Um... You know, and sometimes you can remove that. You can remove that by saying, "How much do we know about our audience? How do we get to find out more about our audience? What what is what is keeping our audience up? What what are the things that and 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 these are the things that like I'll, giving you an example of the dangle streams that we've just done. It was it was a test. It was like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna put Dangle up. We're gonna put a this leaf. Is Dang- Sorry, this that's Steve Dangle for those. Steve Dangle, know. yeah. I yeah. know I know everybody knows, but just in case there's one or two who don't. Steve, Steve Dangle, Dangle, yes. So you know, for us, it was like, hey, let's put it up and see what happens. And it quickly went from, hey, we're doing the first series to now. If the Leafs continue, we're gonna do all. We're gonna continue the whole way. And why were we doing that? We looked at the audiences. We're working with. Our, our data providers and we're going, oh, wow, look, look at engagement. Oh, wow, look at fan sentiment. Oh, wow, look at our audience numbers are increasing. Look at the time spent is increasing. So I think the more and more you understand about your fan, the more and more you understand about what is driving that, the more you can customize it. And it's been done for years. I look, I look at our programming team. They make decisions based on what's moving the needle in terms of from an audience perspective. They, they know their audience, they know the demo, they know how that, what breaks down and they can, they can actually customize what content they're putting in context to what they see because they've got institutional knowledge from the numbers they used to have, right? So, hey, here's the numbers we used to have. This is what it did before. If we try that, is that going to work? And I, I think, again, you talk about it, we talked a little bit about experimentation that's that piece too. Experiment, see what works, see what doesn't work. Does it, does it hit? It hits. How do we double down on it? And how do we make that more of part of our formula? So one last question, because we're brushing up against your time and I want to be respectful of that. Um, I understand that you got a very interesting call from um, Greg Dubois uh, in the wide world of NFT. Yes. Um, you tell a little bit about that story and assume for a second that some of the audience may have no clue who Greg is and what NFTs are. Okay. Well, um, so since the pandemic started, I, I got deep into Clubhouse and um, listening to Clubhouse almost in the evenings daily to the point where you became very close friends with some of the people on Clubhouse. And I connected with a bunch of artists through that platform. And some of the conversation started about NFTs and I was intrigued. I, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm a crypto trader, not a day trader, but I, I, I believe in Bitcoin. I believe in Ethereum. I believe in Cardano and XRP. So I'm, I'm deep into that space a little bit. And as I saw Top Shots and what's happening in that space, there was an opportunity with the NHL. No one had done an, uh, uh, an NHL NFT. Um, the story goes, uh, we were working closely with an athlete, uh, um, Matthew, and, and he, Matthew Kachuk, and 
um, the idea was, hey, uh, what does an NFT look like if we were to start this up? Let, let's, let's back up just for one quick second. Can you describe what an NFT is? Because a lot of people sure. hear about it. And even when told what it is, don't quite get it. Sure. So it's a, a digital asset. It's a non-fungible token. So it's a the ownership of a digital asset. And each asset has a, I would say, like a blockchain or part of a blockchain or, or a serial number. And it can be, it can't be replicated. Someone way smarter than me can probably explain this a lot better. And I'm not sure if I'm doing it justice, but essentially it's the ownership of data that is connected to a piece of art or a piece of content. It could be video, it could be static image, it could be um, a virtual world. And, and we've seen some virtual worlds and rooms sell uh, over the last little while. Um, so that's what, it's a non-fungible token is the, um, is the name of it. And it's the opportunity to own a piece of a digital asset that cannot be replicated. Okay. So if you, you, if you go into YouTube yeah. and search for the Henderson goal, if yeah. you search for the Sidney Crosby goal, you know, the Lemieux Gretzky goal, I'm just, you know, the Joe Carter home run, yeah. uh, the Batista bat flip, those are digital moments. They're, they're copies of a video file, but they're, and they are digital moments, mm -hmm. but they're not serialized content that is part of a blockchain. Could they become one? Um, through the right process, yes, but not in its form as it exists on YouTube. Gotcha. So they'd have to go to the content owner. Correct. In this case, either the NHL, Rogers, or whoever the network is that it would be the league in this case. It would okay. be the, the owner would be the league because you can't remove the marks copyright. and the copyright from that ownership. Um, that's an example why some athletes, when you saw some of the NFTs or the non-fungible tokens, you didn't see uh, league marks or team marks on it because that would be owned by the league and the team. So once it gets created or recreated... One of the, the biggest one, I believe, was a slam dunk, um, literally, yeah. figuratively and literally. <laughs> uh, when somebody bought it for an insane amount of money, yeah, the value is only relevant until somebody goes to sell it or buy it from the owner. Correct. But then, but then, that doesn't. I think a lot of the confusion comes that people think that it can no longer be played on YouTube and other places. That is not the case, correct? No, 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 that's not the case. So it still exists as a digital piece of content. It's just you own it on the blockchain and that's what separates it from a digital piece of content, right? So as um, you can watch the Jordan dunk, it's on YouTube, but do you own a piece of that content? No, you don't own it. You can watch it over and over again. But in this case, it's, it's no different than than playing cards, right? There's a certain amount of playing cards available and, uh, or, or, you know, collector's cards and you always kind of owned it. The only difference is if you think about it, our kids are never going to need to walk into a Tim Hortons possibly, or to get that asset, they have it on their phones. So now they own the copy of that digital asset as exists in terms of quantity 
and what someone's also willing to pay for it. So I think there's a few different layers that you have to think about when you're looking at an, a non-fungible token. So the person who owns the slam dunk NFT is the only person that owns that. Correct. That's the difference. That's the so difference. When, so when the Wayne Gretzky card sold yesterday, the rookie Wayne Gretzky card selling for three and a half million dollars. Apparently there's only a, a handful of them out there at the quality in which this one sold for three and a half million dollars. The difference being this digital asset, uh, which is fully protectable using various technologies today is there's yeah. one. Correct. It's part of, um, at its core, Bitcoin is, um, is a, a network that continues to check itself. So it's ingrained in the nature of what Bitcoin is and, and what, what, what Ethereum and what a lot of these cryptocurrencies are. They're ingrained in double checking themselves and making sure that they, they, are, they are always true to the value of what they are. So there's always a, a self-check in the, you know, with a card, you can look at it and you can go, oh, look, there's no edges. It's, you know, in Bitcoin, it's the same way. Um, it's, it, it can be checked by thousands upon millions of people that are part of that block, blockchain. We've gone very technical and I'm sure we- I'm can, sorry. No, no, I asked the question. It's not your fault. This has been exceptionally interesting. I, uh, I really appreciate you taking some time, hoping that the audience got as much of it out of it as I did. I hope I love, so. I hope they got something out of it. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping that as things evolve for you and at the network, uh, we can have you back. Uh, there's been tons of announcements, uh, both above radar and under radar. As I said, there's a new PD at the fan. I assume that he's going to make his mark with some changes at some point. That seems to be what we're hearing. I know you brought in Peter Kelly, formerly of, of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. Love that guy, by the way. He's awesome. I've had the chance to work with him over the last couple of days, and he's incredible. So that's going to lead to, you know, listen, like you're bringing in a lot of people with very different experience than has been the, the, the norm on the Rogers media side. People with experience in airlines and, and uh, social media networks and yes, not analysis, just, not just radio and TV people uh, as the brand continues to evolve. Yeah. Uh, into more of a digital entity. I think finding the balance between traditional media and new media is going to be interesting to watch. I think it's a, a fun time to be a consumer of, of digital content. And uh, if you're a Canadian and you like Canadian sports content, it's fascinating to watch. And I really appreciate you taking some time to join us today. You know what? And it's been, it's a fun time to be in the sports media business right now, especially at Sportsnet and, and getting to see our growth and getting to see how we're going to evolve. So I'm, I'm stoked. And, and thanks for um, asking some amazing questions. And I, I do hope that everyone got some value out of it. And if I could also say, if there's anyone that needs to connect with me on, on, on LinkedIn, please reach out. If you're a content creator, if you've got uh, ideas on how um, you see yourself in the business, I put myself out there and I, I love connecting with people and I'm more than happy to help anyone if I can. He is Sam Nasrawi. He is the Senior Director of Original Content at Rogers Sportsnet. He's not lying. I reached him on LinkedIn. Uh, that's how we got put together. He responded very quickly. And while it has taken some time to get together due to various schedules being busy, uh, we are thrilled that he joined us today. Uh, thank you for tuning in to in the press row and you can subscribe 
to us where you subscribe to all your podcasts. Uh, my one request of Sam is that please break down the fan audio content into segments, not just hour long shows. It is non digestible. It is a major pain in the butt to try and go through three hours to find snippets of content that you want. I will tell you that my audience tells me the number one reason they're not streaming your content is that it's not the content itself. It's that it's not digestible. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Sam Nasrawi is a content guru inside Rogers and Sportsnet, long career in, in sports media, uh, deep understanding and marketing and how to package content in a digital age. Once again, Press Row is brought to you by my friends at Bet Online. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Press Row Podcast. You can subscribe on all your favorite podcast platforms. To contact Jonah or to sponsor the show, email Jonah at torontosportsmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.